Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to the Book Collector podcast. A Friend of Gutta Percha by John Somare Smith. This wonderful essay only concerns Gutta Percha in the first paragraph as an introduction to an account of some of the binders used by Haywood Hill. John writes that none were under the age of 40. 80 might be more accurate. It is read by the actor and bookseller Neil Pearson. A Friend of Gutter Percha In my early years at Winchester and Cambridge, I boasted a copy of the large Liddell and Scott Greek-English lexicon. It had my name on the half-title and the date I acquired it, under the name of Martin Hammond, a distinguished contemporary who later translated Homer's Iliad and Odyssey for Penguin and became headmaster of Tunbridge School. It is still on my shelves, but it is consulted only rarely. It needs another good home. But I have sentimental feelings for it because it reminds me of my having learned the craft of bookbinding at school. This was my most ambitious project. Binding was a minority hobby, and our teacher visited the bindery, a simple building near the rifle range and the squash courts, for one afternoon a week. His name was Austin Laverty, and he worked during the rest of the week at King Alfred's College, Winchester. My lexicon, even with his considerable help, occupied me for several months. Because of its size, I was advised to replace its original red cloth boards with a hard-wearing Morocco spine and blue cloth boards to match. It has worn very well now, for fifty years. My knowledge of binding tools, paper and presses was not of much advantage on a CV, but it meant that when introduced to the antiquarian trade, I at least knew what a book constituted, and some of its specialist language. At Haywood Hill... I was introduced to their regular trade binder, a Mr. Blackledge from Epsom, who fetched, rebound, restored, and furbished our customers' offerings, then brought them back a month or two later. Another young man was keen to work for us, but Handy Buchanan had known the Blackledge business for many years and was characteristically unwilling to trust anyone under the age of 40. He spoke of Sangorsky and Sutcliffe and his friend there, Mr. Bray, in hushed tones, and would occasionally disappear towards Poland Street with a valuable folio held under his arm. I didn't qualify for this treat until Handy was going to retire. By the mid-1970s, we needed a reliable substitute for Mr Blackledge, and I consulted Nicholas Barker, who was then at the British Library. He recommended Bill Fairweather, who had finished a library apprenticeship and lived on a houseboat on the Thames. This didn't suffer the same fate as Penelope Fitzgerald's boat, as recounted in Offshore, and I never asked about the problem of heavy books and presses. We needed to discuss his charges, but these sounded reasonable, and he always seemed ready for a challenge. He never suggested that our customers contact him direct, so cutting us out of the equation... He proved the most cheerful and rewarding of friends, and now that he is retired to his native Yorkshire, I am sorry to have lost touch, except for exchanging Christmas cards. 
Bill would turn his hand or his wife's nimble fingers to sewing and basic conservation. When we had one of the elaborate mid-Victorian bindings in papier-mâché, we asked him if he could restore a damaged corner, as long as the cost didn't go over £30. We had an interested customer, but the budget was limited. He took longer than usual to bring it back, and, to my obvious dismay, had done a total restoration. He had hoped that I would be delighted, and I wasn't. There had been a misunderstanding, and there was a definite gap before we saw him again. This was the only occasion when we were not quite as grateful for his expertise as he deserved. Normally, he could face unusual problems with a positive response based on that welcome phrase, no problem. When asked to recase a Victorian quarto which had pages emerging from its spine, his reply was, You probably don't know that my youth was often spent with my close friend Miss Gutter Percher, so there's no need to worry. Come the time when Andrew Devonshire became our majority shareholder, we had a chance to show him how much we depended on him. The Duke's townhouse was only three minutes' walk away from our front door, and in early 1992 he proposed inviting the full staff to a quick drink after work. The day we agreed on happened to coincide with a fair-weather visit, and I asked whether Bill could be included, as long as he hadn't planned to drive back to Norfolk that afternoon. By then he had abandoned the Thames for Swatham. This was welcomed by both, and I duly introduced them when we foregathered. Andrew had already started pouring out the fizz. By the time he had finished, there was nowhere to sit down except a semi-vacancy on the sofa. Budge up, Bill, he said in the friendliest voice. There's just enough space for me. I wished I'd had a camera. I remember two special contributions in the mid-1990s. The first involved an inquiry from the library at Chequers. The young staff there, usually recruited from the armed forces, were to be offered the chance to learn the basic fundamentals of book conservation. Could I recommend a bookbinder who could spend a couple of hours in the library teaching them the essential principles? I told the housekeeper of our faith in Bill's work, and a day was fixed when I would pick him up on the Euston Road and drive him to Leafy Bucks as his chauffeur. Security is paramount for visitors to Chequers, so I'd been sent a civil service form to complete on Bill's behalf. I'd written L.B. Fairweather on umpteen checks, but had assumed that he was called William. Oh, no, he said when I asked if this was so. My parents were going to call me Luther Benjamin. One of my grandfathers came to see me in the hospital, and when told this, simply said, Poor little bugger. I'll call him Bill. On the appointed day, we hardly drew breath during the drive. In fact, I missed the familiar turn on the road along the Chiltern Valley. We were still in very good time, and for once I was allowed to keep my shoes on when we went upstairs. We had come with two or three fair-weather parcels to illustrate his skills, but I did no more than introduce him to his team of recruits. This was not a double act, and I had plenty to do in other parts of the house. His only prop was a jar of his own binding ointment, 
a close relation of British Museum lotion with saddle soap as its main ingredient. The long gallery could be silently entered from the front end of the house, so, without attempting to disguise my later return, I could observe the latter part of the lesson in progress. The enthusiasm was almost tangible. Bill had his audience in the palms of his anointed hands. He had suggested that each pupil should have a leather-bound book for which they felt responsible. He had found an 1800-ish uniform set, probably of the abundant theology which looked dry, and they had taken turns to take a dollop of lotion on their index fingers. This conveyed Bill's message better than any textbook that such books are approachable and tactile. The quantity of lotion can never be effective if there is too little, but it must never be too much. They could only judge through their fingers. Some were better than others, but they all wanted to continue with their practice for as long as they were allowed. Bill had given them his own enthusiasm and inspired them to learn more, while he had enjoyed their keenness. When I was sent a thank-you letter by the checker's secretary, I was delighted to pass it on to him, to be filed at home with the two Christmas cards sent to him earlier by Margaret Thatcher. The second unusual project concerned Lord Wavell's wartime commonplace book. We had come across a copy among the otherwise undistinguished books of Peter Coates, who, as his sometime ADC, would refer to Wavell as My Field Marshal. It had been printed in an unedited form on the Viceregal Press and limited to probably no more than twenty or thirty copies. As my father had been seconded from Bengal to Delhi during some of the Second World War years, I had known Wavell's name from an early age and been introduced to other men's flowers. He had a loyal following in his generation, and I thought that a modest reprint would sell a respectable number of copies. I showed my copy to Jock Murray as he had told me of his own commonplace selection, and I was encouraged by his reaction. Not that he could publish it, but he would be happy to snitch a few of the epigrams and pensées for himself. It seemed to me a moot point whether a commonplace book commanded a personal copyright, but politeness demanded that I should write to a suitable member of the Wavell family to ask their permission for a reprint. This was done, and after some time waiting for the reply, I was extremely disappointed that permission was refused. It then occurred to me that we might issue a handful of facsimile copies and pass them on to Wavell fans of my father's age. Bill Fairweather thought he could do this. No binding was needed, only a discreet paper wrapper with a typed title on the spine. Notes and Ideas, 1939-46, to APW. Bill continued to visit me when I left Haywood Hill combining his visit to Curzon Street with 50 Berkeley Square. Not surprisingly, I had far fewer commissions to give him, but, thanks to a further foray to checkers, he had a shelf of their books that could be restored and returned over a period of years. Only after a hip operation that resulted in arthritic fingers 
was he forced to retire at the age of 80. That was Neil Pearson reading A Friend of Gutta written by John Somery Smith and published in the Book Collector in the summer issue for 2016. If you enjoyed this Book Collector podcast, you can find many more on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or via our website. Visit thebookcollector.co.uk today.